Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, life purpose coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Walter Wolf, a 30-year veteran of the entertainment industry who now helps families to find the right rehab for loved ones struggling with mental health or substance use disorders. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Walter Wolf, which is the pen name of a 30-year veteran of the movie and television industry who produced studio and independent films and television. That all changed in 2010 with one 3 a.m. call that a family member was in crisis due to addiction. Like millions of others throughout the nation, Wolf had no idea what to do, but he knew who could a lifelong friend with unequaled contacts in the treatment world. Within 24 hours, Wolf's loved one was at one of the top rehabs in the nation. It wasn't long before Wolf began receiving calls from frantic families who, once like himself, didn't know anything about treatment, but had no one to call who did. Distressed by the multitude of the uninitiated families who are too often preyed upon by grifters and imposters, Wolf naturally was drawn into being an interventionist and treatment placement specialist for the past seven years. Over those years, there still was not a how-to playbook for families searching for the right treatment at the right facility. The right rehab is that playbook. Walter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Charles. I certainly appreciate it. I look forward to this. Thank you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it too. So uh, we've known each other for a few months now and have had a really good time talking uh, addiction and treatment and recovery. And uh, you are a natural guest, especially with the release of this new book, which I'll let you talk all about. Um, and as you may know, Walter, we start each episode with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours. So I'll send that your way, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. So, Walter, when did you know that you wanted to be doing what you're doing today? Well, I am very fortunate because I've actually never worked a day in my life. And, and that's because I, whatever I've done for my career, careers, um, I've absolutely loved it. So it was never work. So, you know, when I get up at, out of bed every morning, I, I actually do. I mean, most days, there's some days I, you know, I wish I didn't get out of bed. But, but most of the time, I really look forward to what I'm doing because I'm usually in the middle of some type of project related to what I'm doing. I have a very project-oriented life. And first, <clears throat> um, it's like working with a family to get someone into a facility. That's a project. And so that's how I like to work. But I, um, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. So when I, uh, in the very beginning, when that happened with my family member, and then I started getting phone calls from people, you know, friends and then friends of friends and then people who I didn't even know. And I started helping them get into the right facility because of the relationships that I had because of my friend. Um, I started to really enjoy it. I enjoy it from the point of view that I really, really liked helping these people get into the right facility because there's one thing about recovery, which I'm not in recovery, so I can't talk to you about recovery. But what I can say is it, early in the process, I remember the uh, LA recovery community could not have been more supportive of myself and my then wife, my, our family. And I remember remarking to one young lady, um, younger one, one young woman, how incredibly um, helpful and supportive she has been to us in such a short amount of time. And I remarked, you know, we just met you. You know, I'm just amazed about how supportive you are. And she said something to me that really has stayed with me ever since. Since She said, Walter, you have to understand, part of my recovery is helping you. And that has stuck with me. And I also remember, 
this has happened to me a few times. And that is, you know, when I was in the picture business, never, ever did I get a, a call from somebody and say, Walter, I love, I love your movie. I love you. You saved my life. Never once. Now, I get those calls every now and then. Now, did I save that person's life? Of course not. I was just involved in like showing a few doors because that individual is the one who saved his or her own life. They're the one who's responsible. But still, it gives you a feeling like, okay, this is something I should keep doing this. And I really like doing it. So, and I also think that a few weeks, a few months ago, I was thinking, you know, eventually we all, we all pass on. And I started thinking, so, you know, what's the whole point? Why, why are we here? And especially for someone who's in the latter chapter of one's life, um, I really do think it's the responsibility of people, if they feel it, to actually help other people. And I just think that if everybody felt that way and did something about it, I think we'd probably be in a better place. I couldn't agree more. And, and thank you for sharing um, so fully. And what I'm hearing is that you are uh, 100% in, uh, at least you're all in to what you're doing and, and having this project-based mentality or personality. And the project that you're about is helping. Uh, it's, and it's based on a lot of lived experience directly, very close to home that you've had. Uh, and then when other folks reached out to you, uh, and I love the conversation though, uh, when someone reached out to you uh, and was supportive of you and you said, what, what is this all about? And, and they said, no, that's part of my recovery is helping you. And that's something I am a person in long-term recovery from alcoholism and substance use disorder. And that's what was told to me too, freely given, you know, that's, I'm, I'm just going to give this away to you, Charles, for no good reason, other than I was in your shoes one time. So it's really a compassionate, empathic response and realizing that uh, we're all more connected than we may realize, especially when things don't go well, because uh, a lot of us have suffered and suffered deeply due to substance use disorder, addictions, et cetera. And, and I just hear that you're, you know, you're filled up with purpose. You're looking at legacy and, and uh, how you're impacting others and, and feel a real sense of uh, gratitude and are getting that sense of reward about the work that you're able to do every day. That's fantastic. Well, you just made an interesting comment. I am not thinking of legacy mm. because yeah, tell me I have, I have no idea what that's going to be. And I yeah. have absolutely, I feel like I have no control over it. And it doesn't really matter to me. Mm. It really yeah. doesn't matter. People are going to think of you, whatever they think about you. You can't do anything about it. So why worry about it? Why think I, this is when I'm gone, this is what I want people to remember. They're going to remember whatever they want to remember. Yeah. So it's it's a waste of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a waste of time. Yeah. It just is. That's how I feel about that. Yeah. I think what you have to do is you have to live in the present. Mm -hmm. And that is, what am I doing now that I really love? And, you know, you just don't want to sit on the couch all day eating C's candy and watching reruns of Married with Children. You actually want to do something. And this you should. And that's how I feel about that. I mean, we're all, you know, I'm too busy to worry about what happens with me afterwards. Yeah, I, I, I can't worry about it. Yeah, I love that perspective. Well, so let's dive in. I, I would love to hear, I'm in the middle, I'll say, of reading your book, The Right Rehab. The, the link will be in the show notes, along with some other links about some great press and reviews and other resources. Uh, the subtitle, The Right Rehab, A Guide to Addiction and Mental Illness Recovery When Crisis Hits Your Family. Tell me about how this project uh, came to life, you know, just launched out in November of this year, 2021, and, and what has it been like since? Well, it, it started literally three years ago when, because of my former business, I still have, I, I still have relationships with uh, agents. I worked with a lot of agents in my, in, when I was in the picture business and I still, I'm friends with some of them. And even after, you know, not being in the business any longer. Um, 
I got a call from one of them one day and he said, you know, Walter, I can get you a book deal. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know, your story, why you're doing what you're doing and then what you're doing. He says, I think that's a pretty compelling story. And I think I, I think I can, I think I can set up a book deal for you. I said, huh? So I thought about it for a little while. And I said, um, if I could write something that's not necessarily about me, uh, uh, but why I do what I do, and then explain to people, this is how you do it. And I say, this is how you do it, because I am now had some experience doing this. And I now am very fortunate that I have been working with the most ethical and the most reputable people in the treatment business. So I feel like I do have some credibility as to what I'm doing. And so I said, you know what? Not everybody is going to have the contacts or kind of kind of call me or kind of call people who do what I do. You know, most people Google, they get on, they get on the Google. I can't tell you how many times they say, well, it looked nice on Google. I thought it would work, you know? Um, so I, uh, so I started, uh, I put together, I said, okay, let's do it. So I put together an outline. Basically it took me two years and, um, and my agent got me, um, a deal with a phenomenal publisher and um, and the rest is history and the book is out and I'm like stunned at the response stunned and it's uh, it's gratifying but it just makes me wonder too you know I owe them another book and I'm wondering I'm starting to put together an outline for the second book and uh, it's and I discovered that I love writing. I really love it. I used to do a lot of it in the picture business, um, you know, mainly rewriting screenplays that were going into production uh, and also creating projects, you know, writing pitches and writing treatments. So, but this is the first time I've actually written something that uh, actually comes from me and it's, um, it's exhilarating and I, I love it. I really do. Did I answer your question? I think so. Of course. Yeah. You know, on this show, it's so uh, wide reaching. What I really connected with there, Walter, was the why, the why, the motivation. You know, why do you do the work that you do? And this, if I'm getting it right, uh, this was part of the reason you said yes to the book idea. Well, here's, is, that, here's, is that part right? Tell me more on that. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, first, it's like, I'll give you two examples. Mm. One example is, you know, early in my practice, I had a family come into my conference room and there were nine of them. And um, the one of the uncles speaks up and he says, now, listen, um, I just Googled rehabs and hundreds of them came up. He says, why the hell are we hiring you? I said, actually, there's 16,000 programs throughout the country. Now, tell me, which is the right one for your nephew? moment of silence. And the guy looks at me and says, huh, good point. So, so that's the idea that the point is, is to find the right treatment for the right individual. And I can get into that a little bit later. But, and then I just got a call. Um, there's a, there's one of my, one of the rehabs where I send people is outside of San Diego. And uh, the uh, admitting person called me the other day. He says, Walter, you won't believe what just happened. I said, well, tell me. He says, well, I'm doing intake with a 19-year-old and his mother brought him in. And she is asking me question after question after question. And, and, and she, what she was doing was that she was reciting your book that she had opened in her hands. I said, and I like, he, and he said, I, I'm like stunned. You know, it was it was remarkable. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I wrote the book. So people no longer have to be in the dark about what is treatment, what is the right rehab, and how do you find the right treatment for the right individual. And but it all begins with what does that individual need? 
because there's no such thing as one size fits all. And we can get into that later on, but that's, there's a lot of stuff that people don't realize. And that's why, you know, this is a $42 billion business, the treatment business, and it's unregulated. So it's, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful because I can give you story after story. People coming to me says, man, I wish I knew you a year ago. I wish I knew you six months ago. You can't believe what happened to us. This one place in Florida, Florida seems to be the epicenter of all these places for some reason that, you know, they, they're grifters basically. So, yeah, no. So that's a, that's a powerful motivation. No doubt. I hear it. And um, to my knowledge, at least on, on this scale that you're describing now and the work that you've done nationally, uh, I'm unaware of others that are that are doing exactly what you're doing and bringing this message. It makes it unique, at least for me. Um, and having this as a resource, because I'm also I'm, I'm a life purpose coach and I'm also an addiction recovery coach. And so not to talk too much about myself, but coaches come in on the front end with preventative care for, you know, educational resources and helping folks that maybe aren't gripped by addiction yet uh, to, to find some new ways of living, some new alternatives. I don't work with treatment. I'm not, you know, I'm not an addiction specialist, but I work on the support role and the continued growth and development of the individual following treatment in a non-clinical way. So having this book at my disposal with the families that I serve, you know, where, hey, coaching isn't really the right fit for this individual. Let's talk about some other options. Why don't you check out this book and let me know what you think? And I'm telling you, for those of us that work in the field and can't do it all, like myself, I'm saying, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful offering that I'm excited to tell families about and put into their hands. Well, I'll tell you where uh, somebody like you is really essential in what I do. And that is when someone, uh, so many times I'll, I'll, there are times, I mean, most of my clients I never meet because they're from all over the country. And, but I do know that you meet the individual and then you meet the individual's family and you say, ah, oh, okay, I get it. I get right. it. Right. So the places where I send people, they get it and they got it long before me. But, and that is not only does the individual have to go into treatment, but also the family. And this is not really my philosophy. This is Deborah J. Everything I learned about what families do, I learned from her book. Uh, it takes a family and she is, as far as I can tell, she's dead on. And that is when the individual goes through, you know, has to be in recovery, so does the family. Because you can't send an individual off the treatment, have that individual come back, expect him or her to be fixed. And then the, and that person comes back into the exact same environment from where that individual left because it's not going to be long before it's another disaster. So someone like you and what you do is incredibly important in working with the family while that person is in, uh, is at the facility, because what I do with the facility is you know, the facility will try, uh, will also set up a counselor or a therapist for the whole family or for individuals, you know, while their loved one is with them. And then the whole idea is that for the family to be down the road in terms of therapy and understanding where they fit into this whole process. So that when someone comes home, someone like you, you're basically, you're coaching the family besides the individual. And um, it, it works out most of the time. It works out beautifully. It, it really does most of the time. There are times where it does, but most of the time. So I really find that people like yourself um, are very, very valuable in this whole process. Yeah, I appreciate that. There, there's a lot of us doing this kind of work on the continuum of care, the full spectrum. 
and absolutely the family dynamics uh, that that we learned about in recovery coach training and that I continue to learn of uh, through a variety of resources, including I have this book right right here, Walter. It takes a family. It's just it's it's a reach away. It's right here. Uh, and the right rehab is right next to me here. And, so, and I'm not saying that about Deborah only because she wrote a terrific testimonial for which she did, and it's in the book. Yeah, like I was stunned when she did that. But yeah, um, she really she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you, and and I think our audience will will know that. If you don't, audience that's listening in, uh, this is you know this is just an authentic offering with a with a lot of resources that really is a good opportunity. Maybe this is a jumping off point, Walter here to, to let folks know what this is about. You've explained kind of the overview. Uh, you can approach this how you'd like. One idea that I had is to, hey, what can go wrong? You know, what can go wrong? Why the right rehab? You know, we can get it. What does that mean? You've alluded to that, but maybe just a, a brief example or two of, of some instances where it's maybe the wrong rehab, meaning it's the wrong fit for that particular individual. Uh, you can think of a couple there. And then what the right rehab may mean or, you know, why this book is a great resource. Well, that's why, you know, I say it, but I actually, I, I, I could not be mean it more. And that is, there's no such thing as one rehab fitting everybody because a lot of times somebody will say, you know, well, why don't you send them to this place? I hear it's great. Well, great for what? No. And it all stems from what is the, what is the problem? And that is, what is the diagnosis? And that's where the people with the letters after their name come in to this process. And they're just absolutely essential, at least for me, to know what is the diagnosis. Now, I always explain to families, listen, there are four diagnoses. There's substance use disorder, there's mental disorder, and then there's primary mental disorder, secondary substance use disorder, and then primary substance use disorder, secondary mental disorder. Why do we care about that? It's because with someone having a diagnosis, you have to send that person to a facility whose primary licensure and secondary licensure match that person's diagnosis. Yes, there are facilities whose primary licensure is mental disorder. Some places, um, well, mental disorder, secondary substance, and the other way around. It's key to know what those places are. And it's also key to know what are the resources that are going to be used to pay for treatment. But there are times where uh, people come to me and there is no diagnosis. I mean, the family has a hunch and I could have a hunch, but that's not good enough. So there are times when I will send somebody to a facility that does just diagnosis, where they will do stabilization, diagnosis, and then they recommend the type of treatment that individual needs after they leave their, their care. And I have found that absolutely indispensable. And I, I could talk to you about, I mean... Let's, let's talk about, you know, resources for a moment. Um, what I describe in the book is there are several different ways to get treatment. And let's start with your resources. And if somebody has the ability to do private pay, you know what? Good on them because they're going to get the best treatment, you know, on the planet if they want it. You know, no question. If somebody is dependent upon insurance, um, okay, that's good. The insurance is helpful, um, but it's uh, but that doesn't mean you don't need money. You also need cash because when you go to a facility, they're going to require whatever is unmet on your maximum out of pocket up front. And as an example. You like look at this is today is we're in the middle of December right now. So if somebody goes to rehab right now, now if they still have some unmet money on their out of pocket, they're gonna have to pay that up front. But also as of January 1st, the out-of-pocket and the deductible, they they reset. So there are instances where people have to pay. If they haven't used their, any of their out-of-pocket or deductible 
the previous in the year, they have to pay that whole amount twice within weeks of each other. So that's that's one one variable. So and then so there and then insurance. You know, the way insurance works these days, I tell people, you know, you dutifully pay your premiums every month, and then they dare you to use it. And that's because it is in the insurance company's interest to spend as little money as possible. And detox being the most expensive portion of the treatment cycle, um, there, I, in my experience, they're usually pretty good at reimbursing the facility for that. And then there's residential treatment, which is the second most expensive. And that is a minefield. That is a jungle because I can never, I mean, very rarely, very rarely will you have instances where the insurance company will reimburse for 30 days. Now, in in the cases of adolescents, I've seen that happen. But in the case of adults, it's very rare unless you go to a facility like Karen, for instance, in Pennsylvania, Warnersville, Pennsylvania. They have a contract with, for instance, Blue Cross, as example. And that is they have a contract that the insurance carrier is going to cover 30 days of treatment. Now, does that mean they're going to reimburse every day of treatment to the facility? You know what? I don't know. But that's between Karen and, and, the, and the carrier. But there are some facilities that will give you 30 days of treatment, of residential treatment, if they have a particular contract with that insurance company. Most places don't. So when I send somebody to a place, I always ask the facility, what they can never commit as to how many days residential is going to be. It's totally out of their hands. I mean, it's in their interest to keep the individual in, in residential treatment for as long as possible, as long as it's medically necessary. But And that's where the rub is between the facility and the insurance company. Because frequently, the insurance company will say, you know what, uh, he's had enough residential. We're stepping him down to PHP. Well, no, wait a minute. You don't understand. And then it gets into a struggle. And most of the time, the insurance company wins. So what it means is that instead of counting on getting 30 days covered by insurance company, don't count on it because I've seen them just to authorize three days. I've seen them authorize six days, 10 days, 14 days, 18 days. You never know. But when I do send somebody to a facility, I always ask them, what's your recent history? With this particular carrier. And that gives me an idea that I can tell the family so and so's probably could get a range of residential days between this amount of days and that amount of days. Nobody could commit. So then you step that person down to PHP, and then I tell the family, well, yes, the insurance company will cover the treatment part of it, but Open your pocketbook because now you have to pay for room and board. And some places are incredibly reasonable about it. Some places will charge $25 a day. Some places, $50, $100, some places, $300. So, uh, and that's where I come in too because I negotiate the very, very best deal for the family. I try to make it as painless as possible for the family. They got enough going on in their lives. They're vulnerable. They're, they're in crisis. They're terrified. And that's why people hire me. And, and one thing I need to make very, very clear, and it's in my contract, it's in my agreement with families, and that is the only fee I get is from the family. I don't get anything from anybody else. No facility, no therapist, nothing. First of all, in many states, and it should be, that's against the law. It's actually a kickback. It's, it, and it, it is. It's against the law. But also, it's incredibly unethical. Because how can somebody know if I'm taking, if I'm recommending a particular facility or a group of them, are they thinking, well, he's recommending this place because they're paying him the highest fee? You know, no, it doesn't work that way. Some people do it. I don't. And the other thing is, if I were to ask any of these facilities, 
for that, they tell me to go screw myself so fast, and they'd be right. They'd be absolutely correct. So then we have, then in terms of PHP, it depends on how many sessions the insurance company is going to authorize. And then some places will also have an IOP program, intensive outpatient, but a lot of places don't. So that's my role is to work with the facility to put together a year-long treatment program, which not only includes formal treatment, but also includes so a sober living environment, um, going to 12-step meetings, uh, arranging for an individual therapist, knowing that that person, you know, when you go to a sober living environment, you know, if you're an IOP, um, you're expected to get a job. You're expected or to go to school or to do community service. Like I said earlier, you don't sit on the couch eating candy all day. So they're all, if you look at the book, if you read the book, you'll see all the different factors that go in to helping a person achieve recovery. And all in the, the, and I'll just stop. I'll summarize this by saying the following. He says, but what's important is that each and every plan has to be per that individual because no one treatment plan will fit everyone. So that's the most important factor is what's working for Charles. And then event, and at some point, most of the time, I tell parents, hey, your son or daughter, most likely they're going to relapse. It happens, you know, 60% of people who go to treatment relapse within a year of discharge. Now, does that mean that treatment was a failure? It was a waste of time, a waste of money? Hell no. What it means is that was what was working before is not working now. So the goal is find out what is it that was working, but we have to change, that we have to tweak right now. And that's where people like you come in, Charles, because the, that is a particular part where your role is if somebody is in recovery, which I'm not, okay, I can't get down into the weeds with somebody like, yeah, I know how you feel, because I don't. With somebody like yourself, you do. And that's a place where there has to be a continuum of care. And that's where coaching comes in. And um, a lot of people will do it. And a lot of people succeed. Most people do. Um, and then there are ones who don't. But the ones who don't, you don't give up. It just means that they aren't ready at that point. And I know from personal experience Sometimes it takes five years for somebody to finally figure it out. Like, hmm, I can't do this anymore. So that's, in a nutshell, I don't know if I describe, I didn't describe everything, but what I try to do is I take all of the work out of the family's hands because they have to worry about what the hell are we going to do? How is, you know, our son, our daughter, or my husband, you know, how are we going to do this? And when I do do that, I always give them at least four facilities from which to choose. They, and they've already, the deals have already been worked out. So when I present these facilities to them, I explain to them, this is what this is going to take. This is what that's. And then we discuss, you know, which are the, which, where are they different? They, uh, in terms of for that in particular individual, I also put the family in touch with that facility. I, there has to be total transparency. And that is where I can't do that. They have got to talk to the admittance person or the clinical person at the facility. They have to know. And that's another part of my role is to put them in touch. And when the decision is made, great. You know, uh, then I'll, I'll stay involved in terms of, um, so finally it, I can, you know, hand off somebody some, to someone like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that are listening in, thanks, Walter, for all of that. Again, for those listening in, and maybe you're tracking along and you're following everything that Walter's saying right now, uh, and maybe you're not. You know, that there's a lot of terms. There's, you know, there's IOP, PHP, residential, sober living. 
one of the the, the uh, summaries that you altered that you offered, Walter, was just ensuring that the work that you do, the, the, what the book helps families and individuals to do, is to find the right rehab for the right individual in their situation. Uh, and it starts with this: it starts with the diagnosis, knowing what's going on, mental health, uh, addiction, you know, substance use. These are different things, and they're treated differently. They can be treated in the same facility. Sometimes they can't be. It depends on which one is primary, and that's where specialists, uh, coaches do not offer this type of assessment, so I don't, I don't do that. But there are specialists out there that do, that do. They have different letters behind their names, and, and that's where it starts, families and individuals that are looking for treatment right now. Do that first, and then, and of course, only, yeah, go ahead. Jump not in. Not only that, but several, several um, my clients have no substance abuse at all. Uh, it's purely mental disorder. Yeah. And it's mainly adolescents and, um, and of course, adults. But I have noticed that, you know, the Journal of the American Medical Association recently had an article saying that the uh, pre, uh, the number of people, adolescents and adults who are suffering from depression, anxiety, you know, now has more than doubled than what was going on before the pandemic. So this pandemic has had a huge effect. I know it's affected me, especially in terms of adolescence. Yeah, yeah. You know, thanks for that. Absolutely. It has me too on a personal level. And as a father of, of two daughters, you know, that are uh, 19 and or 18 and 16 right now. So <laughs> Uh, we, we've been impacted as well. And many of those that I serve through coaching or just know about have as well. Um, so important. So yeah, there's, there's the snapshot. And then there's lots more information in the book. And then of course, Walter, you offer these services to family. Let me ask you this question for some folks who may be wondering, they heard the, oh my goodness, relapse. And they heard, oh, you know, was treatment, it didn't work. Well, no, it's part of the process. What is it about, um, well, in your, just in your experience, in your research, what is it about addiction that doesn't always just, it's just one and done? Why does it, why does it continue to need uh, additional supports, additional resources over time? Well, that's because it's a chronic brain disease. So when you compare it to something like, and which has a similar relapse rate as diabetes or hypertension or asthma, so there's no such thing as being cured of uh, diabetes or addiction. And so it's a matter of learning through behavior or, you know, beha uh, evidence-based treatment or, you know, you don't need to go to rehab to reach recovery. I can cite you many people who never stepped foot in, in a rehab or even an IOP, they went, they do it by, they did it and they still do it by 12 step meetings. So, I mean, there have been studies, for instance, 50% of, of all the people who are still maintain sobriety five years after their beginning of the sobriety, 50% of them do it uh, credited because they go to 12 step. They go to AA meetings. I can't tell you from my point of view how incredibly what a what those two men who created AA. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're saints. I mean, it is absolutely remarkable what they created and what it has done for millions of people around the world. I remember I was doing a picture in Cape Town, South Africa. And one of the actors uh, was, you know, was from L.A. We brought him over from L.A. And he's in recovery. And he, as soon as he got there, the first evening, he went to an AA meeting in Cape Town. And he came back. And he says, oh, you can't believe who was there. You know, some other actors who he's known forever, they were in the same meeting because they're also in Cape Town doing a, working on a picture as well another one so it's 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 absolutely it's stunning it's remarkable what 12 step has done for people 
And the same thing with Al-Anon. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, I'm in awe, just totally in awe. So is it imperative that somebody goes to residential treatment or I have, no, it's not. It depends upon the individual, what works for the individual. And some, and it's a matter of what works for that individual to manage the disease so that it no longer manages you. First, it's if you have diabetes, you have to take insulin. Well, in terms of this chronic brain disease called addiction, it's behavior modification through evidence-based treatment or 12-step meetings. Could be. And some people, they also have to do medication-assisted treatment. And I know there are people who are purists who are totally against anything that uh, chemically that helps someone get over the craving. Because there are people who believe in total abstinence. I get it. I totally understand it. But then there are people who do succeed because they're able to take these drugs that does even out all the highs and lows and gets them through the cravings. And eventually, the Surgeon General, he said that if you're someone's going to be on... Um, uh, using MAT, it should be for three years because those people who are on it for three years have a much easier time of eventually tapering off and remaining sober for years and years to come. That's, that's so good to hear all of that. Yeah. So it's a chronic brain disease. This is a chronic illness. And and I am absolutely 100% in agreement with you on that. You know, that's that's what the research says. That's what the professionals are saying. And just from personal experience, absolutely, it's chronic. For In my case, in other words, I'm telling you, if I go out, and, and for me, total abstinence from alcohol is part of the solution for me. I can't just have a few drinks. Maybe there are folks out there who can. Great, more power to you. But uh, for me, you know, that just starts the cycle. And as uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous said through, through their friend, uh, Dr. Silkworth. Who, who helped Bill W. immensely uh, to find recovery. You know, this is, this is a, it's a disease. It's, um, it's uh, what do they call it? An allergy at the time. They used to call it an allergy, which some people still do. You know, I'm allergic. Uh, I have this uh, obsession that starts and I'm like, oh, I, I need to use or drink. And then once I do, I have a craving that sets in and I can't stop until something terrible happens. You know, I think it was in 1956 when the... Um, was it NI? No, NH wasn't created by that time. Uh, uh, the government um, uh, admitted or said alcoholism is a disease. Up until then, and and many unenlightened people still believe to this day, and that is addiction is hits people because of low low character, you know, no morals or bad morals or low willpower. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Nancy Reagan, <clears throat> when she came out and saying, you know, just say no, I really believe she meant everything that she said. I do believe that she was trying to help. But she, like so many millions of other people, didn't realize it's not like that. It just is not like that. So she tried, but just say no just doesn't do it. Or, hey, buck up, will you? That, nah, it doesn't work. I, re I remember somebody in my family made the remark about um, <laughs> my loved one who was uh, suffering. Still, I mean, he, he's in complete recovery today. I mean, he's the poster child for recovery. Um, just tell him to buck up. <laughs> <laughs> right. How did that hit I said, you? How'd you, I said, how'd you I said, respond? Oh, yeah why there didn't it i is. think of that duh yeah yeah that should have been the first thing i thought of right yeah yeah no who, who hasn't and those families and, and individuals listening in they get it you know i'm 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 sure and if they don't maybe they do now that this is a chronic condition it's not one that we choose either it's not it's not a choice so the just say no campaign god bless her uh nancy reagan and uh and the reagans at, at least as a couple as a family 
knew and know about addiction and, and mental health concerns. So you can look that up, listeners, and learn more about that and your own perspective on it. But, uh, you we've know, come so far, we've, we've come, come so, so far. far. That's the point. And, and the science is so amazing. The research is incredible. There's more people that can tell their story. There's more families that can tell their story of how they did it. And it's easier to share. You know, we've got great books like, uh, like Walter, you've just written, we've got social media that we can use in positive, constructive ways to get the message out and save more lives. Well, um, yeah, I'd go like ahead. To say, do yeah. you all, I hope everybody, you know, do yourself a favor. The Surgeon General, which ironically, uh, Vivek Murthy was the Surgeon General during Obama, his administration, and he is now again. But right. during the, his first run as Surgeon General, he wrote a Surgeon General report on addiction and mental illness, and it is a mind blower. And it, you, if you go to the SAMHSA uh, website, you can find it. Look up, you know, Surgeon General report. And it's, uh, I think it's like 700 pages, but, it, but most uh, 300 of it, uh, I think, uh, are footnotes and references and index. And, um, but there are over 300 pages there of just absolutely invaluable information about addiction and co-occurring mental disorder. It is, I, every person who has the letters after their name, uh, counselors, therapists, coaches, they should read that report because it really fills in so many holes for you, so many gaps. It's remarkable. I'll be sure to drop that. If you're listening now, you can check out the show notes and that link will be there as well as a resource for you. That's something that in coach training we looked at and that I have on, on hand as well. Um, Walter, we're just about out of time, but I want to I want to leave the opportunity for you to to close how you like. With this in mind, um, what gives you hope these days? The times that we're in, what gives you hope? What keeps you going? What encourages you about the times that we're in? Well, that's actually a very very good question. Well, besides doing what I do, is emotionally it's satisfying to me. It's uh, it makes me want to keep doing it um what i do is just a not even a drop in the ocean there it is such a prevalent and it is so many i mean charles 61 in 2019 61.2 million people in this country were suffering from mental disorder and or substance use disorder now Nine and a half million of that 61 million, they also had substance use disorder. So it's that, Charles, is the population of California, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, and Nevada. That's how many people. 20% of adults over the age of 18 have a mental disorder. Now, approximately 16 million of those people uh, have a mental disorder that's so that impairs their life so that they can't have a what we would call a normal functioning life. Um, the rest do because of therapy, because of medication, because we've come so far in terms of how to treat mental disorders. So what I do is not even a drop in the ocean. But I will say that everybody in this country, we have to realize one thing. And if it's anything I'm going to leave you with is this. We do have a magic bullet for treating addiction. It's called treatment. And unless and until we make treatment available to those who want it, we're going to, this problem is going to continue to get worse and worse. And more and more people are going to die of overdose, so, of overdosing. So I really think that, and all the studies will prove to you that for every dollar that is spent on treatment returns a net benefit of a minimum, a minimum of $4 for that dollar, all the way up to over $1,000. There are studies that prove this. So 
when people say to me, or when I hear people say, I, why should I use my money to help someone? So, you know, when, you know, they're the ones responsible for their, their addiction. Well, guess what? Your money, actually, if it did go to treatment for that person, actually is an investment. Because for every person who goes to treatment and then maintains sobriety, eventually gets a job. And what does that person now become? A taxpayer. The bottom line is this. Treatment is an investment in the economic power of our country, as well as the health of our citizens. Here it is. If you want a healthy economy, you have to have a healthy citizen. It's very simple. And if, any, if I want to leave anybody with anything, it's that. Treatment works for those who want it and for those who need it. That's a wonderful place to leave it, Walter. Again, I'm in 100% agreement. Uh, for those that are listening, check out the show notes. You're going to find links to, to Walter's book and other resources. Check them out. Uh, get yourself a copy just in time for the holidays. And uh, Walter, I want to close with just saying it's great to know you. I'm really looking forward to you uh, visiting back in Oklahoma City, where you also office here next year. And I appreciate your time and you being a guest on the show. Charles, it's been a huge pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if somebody, by the way, would like to get a hold of me, it's very simple. You can go to my website, which is called therightrehab.com. And there you'll see a phone number for me. And you will also see an email address for me. You can email me at walter at therightrehab.com or go ahead and info at therightrehab.com. But it's very simple to get a hold of me at, at therightrehab.com. And do not hesitate. If you have any questions or you have any needs, don't hesitate. Uh, this is what I love to do. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.